Morning, everyone. Great to be here on this auspicious occasion, 32 years. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so we're continuing with our series on Gideon. And so today, I think I've got the best bit. I think I've got the most exciting part of the story. So we're going to take a look at Gideon, uh, chapter 7, in a minute. But we're going to just quickly recap what Sarah brought to us last week and sort of see where we are in the story. So Sarah talked last week about God's selection process when they were gathering the armies, okay? So they started at 32,000, whittled down to 10,000, and then to a nice round small number of 300. And so Sarah talked about how this was happening when the men were taken down to the river, and we can remember the men who kind of face-planted straight in were the ones that kind of got sent home. But the ones who kind of knelt and sort of cupped their hands and drank from their hands the water were the 300 that God said, they are men. Okay, so they were thinned out to that nice little small number, and Sarah called them the dream team. And so here we see these 300 men, brave, committed, and focused. And she brought the points to us about what can we take from this, about having faith and putting our trust in God's promises and being ready, whatever it takes, and about our little really not mattering to God because when we come to God with the little that we have, it is all about him and his power and his presence in and through us, just like he was with Gideon. And so Gideon gave himself with a little faith that he had to become this leader, and he has this victory, and therefore the nation entered into 40 years of peace. And so the Midianites were really oppressing the Israelite nation. They were kind of being <clears throat> impoverished by them, and then the harvest would come, and they'd turn up, and they would sort of ravish the land and take all their crops. But God heard the cry of his people and calls Gideon to deliver his people. And when we first meet Gideon, we remember he was like this guy with this inferiority complex, and he was, you know, what we would call today like imposter syndrome, cautious, full of self-doubt, inferior, and timid, and sort of really cautious. But today, we're going to take a look at Gideon. After gathering this team, the Spirit of God fills him, and we see a real transformation. And so we're going to follow up with the story in Judges chapter 7, verses 8 to 25. Okay, so this is uh, the next bit. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. And so he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other kites, and all the eastern peoples who had gathered against them had settled in the valley. They were thick as locusts. Their camels could be no more be counted than the sand on the seashore, like Sarah said last week. There was a lot of them. So Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, 
This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands, into your hands. And so dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. Is this the same person we first met in the wine press? This is like total transformation. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp And at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard, they blew their trumpets and broke their jars that were in their hands. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittar towards Zerera, as far as the border of Abel, Mehula, near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hills, countries of Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. Because if you can control the water supply, you can pretty much control the area. And so all the men of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. And they also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. Nice names there, any expectant uh, parents? And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Sorry, a little bit gruesome for a Sunday morning. Sorry, kids. Okay, so here we go. Woo, exciting. So, oh, right. Exhausted after all that. <laughs> so today we're going to little have a little look at the battle plan, the victory, and the prophetic in this text. So Gideon defeats the Midianites. So the battle plan. Self-sufficiency is an enemy when it ca- ca- causes us to believe that we can always do what needs to be done in our own strength. To prevent this attitude in Gideon's dream team of 300 soldiers and in Gideon, God reduces them from 32,000 right the way down to that lovely little number. With an army this small, there could be no shadow of a doubt that this was from God and that he was going to have the victory. There is no way on earth any general or army could take credit for this amazing battle plan and forthcoming victory. Now, a few years ago, when our children were a little bit smaller, we had a games night in our house with our small group. And uh, Kieran brought this game called Risk. And it was quite an old game, a bit of a vintage game, you know, the old-fashioned board game with all the players and the dice. I don't think many people play board games now. It's all electronic. But we love games in our small group. And so our boys got to play this game of Risk. And they absolutely loved it. And so... The game is like a battle plan. It's all about occupying territories and eliminating your opponents. And it can be a lengthy game, which can sometimes take about several hours, even a few days. So we go on holiday a couple of weeks, 
and um, our boys said, oh, let's go into this shop. And we walked into the shop, and it was full of games and books and nice little things. And they loved this game so much, and we couldn't really find it like in Smith's or Weatherspoons. Not Weatherspoons. Uh, it's the bookshop. W.H. Smith or Waterstones. That's the one. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, you wouldn't find it in Weatherspoons unless they've got a board section game. It's, you know, whatever. And so we walked into the shop, and Sam said, wouldn't it be funny if we found a game of No Way? <laughs> And we all kind of looked, and on the shelf facing us was this board game, Risk. And as we walked into the shop, we found this game. And it was really funny because you couldn't really get it anywhere. So we bought the game of Risk, and we haven't played it since. Because <laughs> it takes so long. It's up there with Monopoly, you know, where you need like three days to finish the game. <laughs> okay, but facing um, overwhelming odds, Gideon was afraid. And God understood his fear. And here we can see this kind of battle plan and how it was going to outwork. But we can be confident of victory, of overcoming our own battles, when we put our faith and confidence in God and not ourselves. But you know, even though Gideon was afraid, God understood his fear, but he didn't excuse Gideon at all from the task at hand. But what he did do was kind of allow Gideon a peep into the enemy, enemy camp, and to overhear a conversation of a man telling his friend about this dream that he had had about this barley loaf. I mean, how random is that? Tumbling into the Midianite camp, striking the tent with such force that it overturned and collapsed. And so this was like a prophetic dream, which was symbolic of the forthcoming victory. And so in a way, God allows Gideon to be like, 007, like a spy, to go in and near to this camp to find out this intelligence. And this really transforms and changes his attitude as we see. And so in the dead of night, he creeps down to the enemy camp with his mate Pura and overhears this conversation. This was a real game changer for Gideon. You can almost hear and see and feel in the text the absolute change and transformation in him, how he's gone from this weak, fearful, intimidated guy into this man who was emboldened because the Spirit of God is upon him and he was filled with great courage. And so this is a real game changer. And so God promised him victory and God promises us the victory too. That when we enter into our battle plans, he is with us we can't do it alone. Sometimes we can feel overwhelmed, but we need to take heart that God is with us and will get us through. And he can give us great courage too. Now, many years ago, <clears throat> you can really see the sort of prophetic in this and how the prophetic really kind of stood Gideon in good stead for what was about to happen. So about 23 years ago, some friends from the church came and uh, they were prophetic ministries and they came to speak and pray and encourage some of the team in the church at that time so 32 years ago this is about 23 years ago so the church is about 10 years old and Adam and I were sort of early 20s and we had Sam who was two at the time and I can remember them praying and prophesying over us some strategic direction about some things God would call us to and have us put our hand to and how we can support and what things we would be like trained and involved in and I found a cassette tape of this prophecy just about a week ago in a drawer. Now, for those of you who don't know what a cassette tape is, it's before the days of downloading and streaming and buying, you know, CDs and that type of thing. Well, even that's old now. 
And it was recorded on this cassette, so I played it on an old cassette player that we had, and I can honestly say that over 23 years since this, about 85% of the prophetic things that were prayed over us at that time have actually now come to pass. And that is absolutely amazing and remarkable. And at that time, they were like pointers and encouragements and direction. And what that prophetic insight gave was like guidance and clarity and encouragement and edification that you're on the right track, you're doing the right thing, keep giving your little to God and he will do the rest. Don't worry about feeling inferior or intimidated or not having the skills. And Sarah talked so much about the gap last week and it was like a real blast to the past about how just a small group of people with limited resources and availability and skills and time, you know, developed through Sarah and the team this amazing project that really affected so many people's lives and still to this day is having an effect. So Adam takes the minibus into a garage recently and sees one of the guys that came through the gap fixing up the gap minibus. And he says, oh, I remember this bus because I used to be on that bus doing all our outward bound and kayaking and confidence building and team building and first aid training and life skills. And so to see this guy sort of 15, 20 years successful, working, you know, life totally transformed because a group of people gave their little to God and God did the rest. And this is one of the things that really speaks to me about Gideon, that it, no matter how intimidated we feel, how sort of weak we may feel, with whatever little we think we have, God can take it and multiply it. And there's that rippling effect that can affect generations. Okay, so when we are facing a battle... God can give us the strength to face our enemy and to take us forward and through to the place of victory. Because like Gideon and his small army, he is with us today. So barley grain was half the value of wheat and it was considered inferior. Just like Israel's tiny little army, little band of men, inferior compared to the vast armies that were surrounding them. But God would make the underdog Israelites seem invincible. And this is such a really amazing plan. You never hear of these kind of strategies today. So he divides his army into three battalions and he commanded one and made their descent in the middle of the night when they were least expecting it. And it would have put them into such confusion, half asleep, disorientated, you know, just going into that deep part of sleep. And they would have woken up not seeing how small the actual army was because of the dark. And they had like needed to just spring into action. And it was so confusing. You know what it's like when you get up in the middle of the night and it's like really dark. Everything seems, every creak, every sort of, um, you know, bump, every sort of movement is like more frightening, isn't it? And one commentator said, frights in the night are more frightful. And we have a mannequin in our house that stands at the top of the stairs. It's like a decorative thing, you know, pretty little thing. It's not wooden. I couldn't find a cast iron one. Anyway, one night, Isaac got up to go to the bathroom with his son and didn't put any lights on. It was just the moonlight and the street lamp. And he came out to the bathroom and somebody had put a big, long overcoat on this mannequin to dry, you know, because laundry in our house is just everywhere. <laughs> and um, 
he came out of the bathroom and he jumped out of his skin because he thought there was like this man standing on the landing, you know, facing him, coming out of the bathroom at like three o'clock in the morning. And um, I came home one day and thought, oh, where's the mannequin gone? And I found it stuffed in the corner of the lounge. I said, why is it down here? He said, because when I got up last night to go to the bathroom, I nearly, you know, fainted with fright. <laughs> because of the dark figure standing in the, in the corner of the, uh, the landing, very intimidating with his big overcoat on. Okay, so anyway, so here they are surrounding the massive enemy army and they begin to bash the clay jars, shining their torches, shouting with all their might and the enemy starts to flee. And then they turn on each other, confused with their swords and start slaughtering each other because of all the commotion and all the darkness and being caught off guard and all the sounds that were being made. That must have sounded so nearby and so terrifying that they were just panicking and leapt into action, attack, and ended up attacking each other. So Gideon's army simply watched the army of Midian fall before them and not one man had to draw his sword. Gideon's army, so small in number, could never have brought such a victory in their own strength. God wanted to demonstrate to Israel that victory depends not on strength of numbers, but on obedience and commitment to him. And that is something for us today. Gideon, once weak and by no means perfect, like many others, we find in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, in what is known as the Hall of Faith. And we've talked about this a lot in our small group and we chat about these, you know, great sort of men and women of old and how, you know, they had their flaws and their weaknesses and, you know, sadly for some, they went on and continued with that. But for this time, for such a time as this, Gideon was called by God to bring peace to a nation and he was transformed from weak and inferior to like a mighty man of valor because he obeyed and gave the small that he had to God. And in Hebrews 11, 32, it says this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about Samuel, David, and the prophets. And there's this huge list of like heroic figures of remarkable men and women who have gone before us, whose stories of faith stand out to really encourage and challenge us today. Now, faith is being more sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. And then Paul goes on to talk about others who have gone before us, men and women of faith who accomplished amazing things for their people, for their nation. And he mentions people like Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Rahab, and Deborah, and the prophets, and Samuel, and all these amazing people that we read about, and talk about, and tell the stories in Sunday school to our children. And these people, through faith, conquered kingdoms, like Joshua and Deborah. They administered justice, like Nehemiah. They gained promises, like Hezekiah, who regained strength after sickness. And we continue to pray for healing, for the people in our sort of sphere of influence, that God would come in his power and bring physical healing to those that we love and know. He shut the mouths of lions when we think of Daniel. He kind of quenched the fury of flames when we think of, you know, 
Meshach and Abednego and Shadrach. He escaped the sword. Elijah, Gideon, powerful in battle, and so it goes on. And the lives of these great men and women of faith, some experienced great victories, but others really had it rough. They were mistreated, tortured, and we know that faith in Jesus does not guarantee us an easy ride, a bed of roses. We know that as Christians, in some way, that our faith almost guarantees us trials and hardships in this world whilst we are on this earth. And so we know that faith in Jesus doesn't always guarantee a happy and carefree life. And we may never see the purpose of our suffering, but we know that God will keep his promises to us. And my favorite verse of all time, as I'm sure is yours, in Hebrews, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And in John, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And these verses for me are like rich with promise, rich with promise from a loving heavenly father that what we go through on this earth in some ways is like a blink, although at the time it doesn't feel like it, but we know that we have eternity with Jesus forever. And so to sum up today, God can use us even when we feel weak or inadequate. God equips us, we just need to trust in him and be obedient. And when we are going through tough times, faith in the fire, we will ultimately have the victory and reward and be with Jesus for all eternity. Let's pray. Father God of heaven and earth, I thank you so much for these stories of old where we can look back and glean so much from these great men and women of faith. And when we look at their lives, Lord, in some ways they're just like us. And we thank you so much for the time and the calling that is upon our lives in this day, right here, right now. For every person in this room, Lord, I pray that you would fill them afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit in those areas of their life where they feel weak or inadequate, I pray like Gideon, you would just stir their hearts and fill them with your power and your Holy Spirit that as they walk out on Monday morning, they would feel that confidence and equipping that is heavenly and not earthly. I really pray, Jesus, for this season that we go into as a new year and as a 33rd year of us as a church, that you would continue to keep us in unity, Lord, as Chloe said this morning. We'd watch each other's backs. We would bless one another. We would be kind to one another. We would be for one another. We would celebrate the wins. We would comfort each other. Jesus, make us the church you want us to truly be, with you at the heart and you at the center. And with all of those things, Lord, people are battling through right now, I pray like Gideon for your equipping, that you would get them through it, Lord. And where we don't know the purpose sometimes of the things that we go through, we just hand it all over to you and we trust in you, Lord, that you have plans and purposes for us and that ultimately you love us and you never change. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.